5. Genesis chapter 5 this evening. Genesis 5, 21 through 24. Hear now the word, the living God. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Now, O Lord, we pray that in the preaching of your word, the voice of Christ would be made known to his sheep, that he would be pointed to as the way, the truth, and the life, that our souls would be edified, that you would encourage us as we walk in the days in which we live. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it look like to live in a world of sin and death? What does it look like to live in a world that is seemingly getting worse? A world where all around you people are dying. They're spiritually dead, of course, but they're physically dying. Their days are coming to an end. What does it look like to be one who walks with God according to his promises in the midst of sin and death and curse All around. I think you have one such example in Genesis chapter 5 of one who indeed walked with God in a world full of sin and death. But I think in Genesis chapter 5 verses 21 through 24, you not only have the example of a man who walked with God in a world of sin, in a world of death where people all around were passing away, but you also have a picture of resurrection life. What I want to do tonight, brothers and sisters, briefly is take a few moments and walk through this text and talk about the details of this passage and then glean three simple lessons tonight. Three simple lessons about walking with God in a world of sin and death. I remember as a young child being captivated by various parts of the Bible. I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home, and so from an early age I was able to hear Bible stories. And it always struck me that there was an interesting man in the first few pages of Genesis, and his details were rather short. His resume was short. We only get a few verses. But one that always jumped out at me was Genesis 5, verse 24, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not. What a description. I grew up thinking that there was such a godliness, perhaps, in Enoch's life that he ultimately didn't face death, which is true. He didn't face death. The Lord God took him, or as the old writers and commentators would say, translated him. But could it be that there's more going on in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, than just a godly man not dying? 
And I think that is indeed the case. Let's look at Enoch. First, a few surrounding passages from Scripture. Enoch, if you do the math, was the seventh from Adam. The seventh from Adam. Now, you could do the math in Genesis chapter 5 and see that, but you could also turn to the very end of your Bible, which I invite you to do now, to Jude, the book of Jude. Boys and girls, Jude is simply one chapter. So this would just be Jude verse 14. There we read these words. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to see how we're undertaking this. Scripture interprets Scripture. Subsequent revelation, revelation that comes later on in the Scriptures, is making, as one scholar would say, making evident or making explicit what was already implicit in the text. Jude, verse 14. Read these words. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam. So Genesis 5 tells us that he was the seventh, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we now have that declared. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Now, we don't learn this in Genesis, that Enoch was a prophet. Notice what his prophecy was. Prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Who is it that Enoch is prophesying about? Well, he's prophesying about false teachers, about apostates, those who abandon Christ those who live in ungodly ways. But the book of Genesis reveals that Enoch was the seventh from Adam, but Jude tells us that Enoch was the seventh from Adam. And think of the symbolism of this number. Think how many times in the pages of Holy Scripture the number seven is intentionally given to us as an important number, Genesis 5. Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Christ is organized in some way around the number 7. Jude 14, we see it. And of course, one glance at the book of the Revelation in 7 is everywhere. The number of completion, the number of perfection, the number of promise. Enoch was the seventh from Adam. But as we just read in Jude verse 14, not only was Enoch the seventh from Adam, Enoch was one who prophesied, and Enoch prophesied coming judgment. Look there again at Jude verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch, and we're not told all of the details, but Enoch was a man who not only was the seventh from Adam, which we'll come back to in a moment, but Enoch was a man who spoke and declared the word of the living God. 
Enoch was a man who said, in an unvarnished way, judgment is coming upon sinners and unbelievers. Now turn back to Genesis chapter 5. Have you ever wondered how Old Testament genealogical persons got their name? It's interesting, isn't it? We go from Jared to Enoch, and then we go from Enoch to his son, Boys and girls, begot means to have a child. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And Methuselah perhaps is famous to us as being the oldest person to ever live, 969 years. But what's interesting is the name Methuselah could be translated, he dies and then it is sent. Or he dies and then it comes. If you do the math, Methuselah died almost exactly before the flood that God brought onto the earth in Noah's time. Enoch was the seventh from Adam, but Enoch prophesied judgment, even naming his son in a particular way to point to the fact that judgment is coming. His very son's name was almost a picture, a symbol, a type of the fact that living in the world of sin and death, there is the need to understand judgment comes upon sinners. And Enoch was one, according to the word of God, who declared the very word of God. In this case, the word of coming judgment. But our text tells us, in addition to Enoch, being the seventh from Adam, Enoch being the father of Methuselah, and with Jude, our understanding that Enoch prophesied coming judgment, the text tells us this in verse 22 of Genesis 5. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365. It's a very interesting number, isn't it? Most of the people in this list lived longer than that. Enoch actually had a shorter lifespan pre-flood than all of the rest of these individuals. Can we think of any reason why 365 might be his number? Well, of course, some commentators would say it is the number of days in a year, which really means nothing to us unless we consider that Enoch is going to be a symbol So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God. He's the seventh from Adam. He's a prophet, even naming his son after the kinds of prophecy that he is preaching, and he walks with God. In the book of Genesis, Genesis 3.8, Genesis 6.9, this phrase indicates fellowship with the Lord. Look at, for instance, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was just a man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Turn over to Genesis 3 for just a moment. Genesis 3. There we read. These words, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves 
from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Both among those who are walking with God, even hiding in their sin, and those who are walking with God in their uprightness, like Noah, have a kind of description of fellowship with the Lord, walking with God. The writer of Hebrews gives us one more piece of the puzzle. Turn over to Hebrews 11, verse 5, for just a moment. Hebrews 11, verse 5. This is, of course, the famous chapter where faith is described. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. What does it look like to live as a follower of God in a world of sin and death. When all around there is curse, there is sin, it seems as though things are getting worse and worse and worse. Years, in fact, in the case of Enoch's life, hundreds of years are passing by and you're seeing them and things are getting worse and worse and worse. And Enoch is described as the seventh from Adam, the one who prophesies the coming judgment of those who forsake the living God, the one who even names his boy, A name which points to the fact that judgment is coming. One who is described as having fellowship with God in such a way that he pleases the Lord. Well, continuing in Genesis chapter 5, we read, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, all the years growing up as a young boy, thinking about the story of Enoch, I often thought to myself, Enoch must have been really, 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 really good. I know he's a sinner because that's what our faith teaches us. But Enoch must have been really, 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 really good. Such that the question might come to our minds, did he earn favor in a special way? Because of the way that he lived his life. Did he earn favor in a special way? Maybe the way that most of us think about him. But what if, in addition to Enoch, yes, being an example of what it looks like to live faithfully in a world of sin and death, Enoch is also a sign by God's design. Nehemiah Cox, perhaps the chief architect of our confession, the London Confession of Faith, written in 1677, Commenting on God's various covenant, covenantal dealings with mankind, writes these words. And listen closely. Quote, Enoch was the seventh from Adam. And this septenary number, this number of seven, is famous in Scripture for its spiritual signification of that perfect rest or Sabbath that Christ should bring his church to. So Matthew counts the genealogy of Christ by septenary generations. Again, the translation of Enoch happened. And then listen to this. When did Enoch's 
translation happen? Cox tells us, but if you take out your calculator and do the math, Enoch was taken shortly after the death of Adam. Again, the translation of Enoch happened soon after the death of Adam, the first whose natural death is mentioned in Scripture. Enoch, in the seventh generation, was translated that he should not see death. As they had seen the fruit of the curse exemplified in Adam's death, so they saw that life which the promise gives exemplified in Enoch's translation. His translation, boys and girls, his not dying and just being taken and not facing death. His translation prefigured Christ's entering into heaven as a forerunner for us. End quote. Enoch's life and then his being taken by the Lord without tasting death was not simply because he lived well, although he did. Jude testifies to that. Hebrews testifies to that. But brothers and sisters, using the phrase, he pleased the Lord, he walked with God, that could be said of many individuals in the Bible, like Noah, like David, like Abram, who would become Abraham. Enoch's life was a life of holiness, of belief, but Enoch's life was given early in the book of Genesis as a particular sign, as a type of of God's very promise. Think about this. We're now seven generations away from Adam. The story is being told from one parent to child, perhaps grandparents to children. This is what God has promised. Our great, 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 great grandfather was in the garden with Adam, and this is what he should have done, and this is what he did. And sin entered the world. But God, walking with our father Adam, gave a promise. And that's why, dear son, dear daughter, now our life is difficult. That's why when women give birth, it's painful. That's why when men are working out in the fields, there are thorns and thistles. And then, around the time of Enoch's translation... Adam dies. And all of the world, small in number though it may be at this point, all of the world had heard the promise of death. And great-great-grandfather Adam dies. And now humanity sees for the first time A body that doesn't walk anymore. A heart that no longer pounds in a chest anymore. Breathing that has ceased. And it becomes very, very clear that one by one God's promises in Genesis 3.15 are true. That the story of great-great-great-great-grandfather Adam is true. Not only is life difficult, not only is birth painful for our women, not only do we struggle to walk with God, and not only do we see many and many and many of our cousins forsaking the living God, walking in the ways of sin and death, but now Adam dies. 
And shortly thereafter, God in his kindness takes one, one who is living how? According to the promises of God. According, we should say, to the promise of God. There will come a seed of the woman and he will crush the head of the serpent. Generation after generation is passing by and life is getting more difficult and people are sinning and finally one dies. And just as the promise is seen that the curse brings death, now in Enoch's day and his generation, after prophesying judgment to the faithful few who are holding on to the promise, Enoch doesn't taste death. God just takes him. This only happens one other time in Scripture to a prophet later on. Yes, I think... But Enoch's life is a picture of living with God, walking with God. What a wonderful epitaph, boys and girls, the words on your tombstone. He walked with God. That's what the Bible says about Enoch. But is that all that we're meant to see? Or if we're willing to dive in and we see all of the numbers and the ways that all of the texts of scriptures highlight those numbers. He is the seventh from Adam. He's the number of completion. What happens when we get to all of the completion of God's plan? People surpass death. But not because of Enoch's holiness alone, but because Enoch held to the promise. So what lessons are we to make of this? Seventh from Adam, prophesying coming judgment on a sinful world, even naming his boy such. Walking with God, pleasing God, and being one who shortly after the death of Adam is translated as a picture for all to see. Belief in the promise means that there will be death, but God's promise of life still stands. What lessons are we to learn? Well, three, briefly, I think, at least. We are to be a people who are living in light of God's promise. And I don't mean according to all the promises, the various descriptions of blessing that will happen when you raise your child this way, or or perhaps when you live a particular life this way, or perhaps even the promise that we see in the fifth commandment of honoring father and mother, that your days may be long in the land. There are promises in the scripture, but I'm talking about the promise, the promise of Genesis 3.15 That from the very beginning, right after the fall, God has promised death will not have the final word. Death will not have the final word. As sinful as the world gets, cling to his promise and he will take you home. Our lives are pleasing in and as they rest on God's gospel promise. See, I used to read this text and think, Enoch walked with God. He must have sinned less than everyone else, which may be true. Enoch walked with God. He didn't forsake the ways that kind of had passed their way down through the generations. And that may very well be true. 
But Enoch walked with God the same way that we see in the next chapter, Noah walking with God. In the same way that we see in a few chapters here on that Abram walked with God. That Jacob and Isaac walked with God. That David walked with God. And by His grace, that you walk with God. Hearing God's promise and by His Spirit, believing it. When all the world calls you crazy, one of Enoch's Grandsons down the line would be called absolutely crazy for building a big boat. You're going to do what? Why are you doing that, Noah? Because God said to. Judgment is coming. Flee from the wrath to come. Oh, Noah. That's an old wives' tale. All that stuff about great, 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 great grandfather Adam, it's nothing. It's thousands of years in the past by now, Noah. Yet Noah walks with God according to the promise. See, we ought to be a people who are living in light of God's promise. The promise of sending the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent and all that the serpent's temptations and lies have brought to bear on our lives. Enoch walked with God because Enoch believed God by faith. Do you? You live in days like Noah, days like Enoch, where all around you it seems like more and more people are walking away from the living God. Death comes. The older you get, boys and girls, the more people that you know of will die and they will taste death. And should the Lord Jesus tarry or not come during our lives, we will taste death. God has given us his promise that the curse will not be spread farther than God's redemptive grace. But you know, there's a second reality, the first being we should be a people living in light of God's promise. Pleasing him, of course, by believing his word. But secondly, we need to be a people who proclaim the realities of God's promise. Now think about how Enoch proclaimed God's promise. Jude tells us we're not given all of the background. Jude is an interesting book to navigate, but it's Holy Scripture. We're not told all of what Enoch declared, but we are told that Enoch said to his generation, judgment is coming. It's not popular. It won't win you many friends. And in our time, you will perhaps influence less and less people. But in addition to living in light of God's promise, we need to proclaim the reality of God's promise, namely coming judgment. Judgment is coming on the world. It was true in Enoch's day, Noah's day, and it's true in our day. What does the scripture say? There is this twofold expression about the second coming of Christ. It goes like this. Saints will marvel at him. They will love his appearing. They will be vindicated. They will have the shackles of remaining sin instantaneously removed. They will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. They will know the glories of God forever and ever and ever and ever. 
But the other reality that the scripture speaks of is the absolutely horrific reality of standing in the face of the coming king without having trusted in him. And to know that his coming is life and rest for his people and death and eternal judgment for those who have rejected him. Enoch was a preacher of coming judgment. See, the promise of God is not simply the promise of grace. But it is, as seen through the pages, an interpretive grid of the rest of the story and the pages from Genesis to Revelation. It is also the promise that he will judge every single sin. We ought to be a people who are living in light of God's promise We ought to be a people who proclaim the realities of God's promise. But thirdly and finally, we ought to be a people resting on promised blessing when we see curse all around. We ought to be a people who are resting on promised blessing when we see curse all around. Think of Enoch's translation right after or near the time frame of Adam's death. Now, I know this might stretch some of us. This kind of putting the scriptures together would have stretched me 10 years ago. Meaning I might have said, well, that's not explicitly there. Discussion of the importance of seven. It's not there, although Jude says it. Discussion of the numbers and how this relates to Adam's death. It's not explicitly said in these four verses. Aren't we making a lot about the fact that Enoch was a type of Christ? But over the years, as we understand, as those who lived in a different time would, like Nehemiah Cox, like the Puritans, as they begin to understand how to put the word of God together, seeing that scripture interprets scripture for us, that we do want to understand as we read of Enoch in these Four verses. What is happening right in that moment? We want to understand what the living God by His Spirit is saying about this through all the pages of Scripture. We see now the seventh from Adam. Adam dies. And right as Adam dies, in the same lifetime, Enoch is taken. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the picture of this for those who were holding on to the promise. Yes, God in his sovereign grace worked in the heart of Enoch such that his life could be described, as verse 24 says, walking with God. But brothers and sisters, there's more happening here in the life of Enoch. Enoch is taken And he's taken at a time when the reality, the full weight of the curse has come and people see it. And Enoch, the one that we know who is walking with God, who keeps believing the promise of God, he doesn't die, but he lives. And he's the seventh. He's the seventh from Adam. Brothers and sisters, should the Lord tarry, there will be 
Funeral after funeral. Should the Lord tarry, the days may get darker and darker. Should the Lord tarry, more and more family members and friends and co-workers will want nothing to do with the living God. Think about the line from Adam to Noah. How bad it got. And then think about our days. In some ways, we're living, if you will, in Noah-like days. And yet God, in His grace, constantly points us to the promise. I haven't forsaken my promise. The skull-crushing seed of the woman will come. Thousands of years later, He came and He died on a cross and He took the sins of the people who would ever trust in Him and wrapped Himself in their record and took it to the grave. And on the third day, He lived. According to God's promise, the sin-bearer was not held by death. Enoch was a little bit of a of a coming picture of that. It's almost like from Genesis to Matthew. We have pictures. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. It's going to get bad. It's going to look ugly, but he's coming. He's coming. Adam dies. It's true. Adam dies. Enoch is translated. He's coming. Just like Enoch, believe God's promise. We get to Abraham. We get to Isaac. We get to David. Then we see the manger of Bethlehem, the seed of the woman. But aren't we living in days where we're waiting for the sun to come? Days where all around us people are sinful and death is occurring. Friends, I would submit to you That as we live lives resting on promised blessing, when we see curse all around, for every blood-bought believer, we are like Enoch. Not that we won't taste physical death, but physical death will not keep us. It will not define us. So there I was as a little boy reading the story of Enoch, thinking that it was really just a picture of what it's like to walk with God. And it is. But Enoch was also a wonderful blessing of God to the people of his generation. A blessing which said God's promise will continue. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us as we live in this world of sin and death, it is all around us. And it has been with us since the garden. And Lord, we pray that we might, in our walk with you, live according to your promise, that we might have fellowship with you by believing your word, that your Son has come. That our fellowship with you comes through him. That we might proclaim the realities of your promise, O Lord. That grace is available to any who will receive him. But judgment is there for all who reject him. And Lord, give us lives, even this week, that are resting on your promised blessing. When we see curse all around us, help us, O Lord, to press just past the curtain. 
When we see in the book of the Revelation, the King of kings and Lord of lords saying, I will make all things new. Lord, help us to look past sin, curse, and death to our own translation and fellowship with you because of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing a song of response. We'll find these words listed for you there in your bulletin.